Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode 18 of the Middle-Aged Outlaws podcast. Uh, I'm Ross and I'm here with Adam as always. We're here to talk WCW Uncensored. And uh, just just for the, the sensitive amongst you, this will be 100% uncensored. <laughs> are you are you game with that, Adam? Absolutely fine by me, yeah. Are, are you already topless? As we, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not going for that kind of uncensored. I, I, I mean, if we were recording the video, then yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So maybe I'll try and sort out some sort of um, maybe I'll try and some sort of video recording for for episode nineteen. Uh, that wouldn't be uncensored, though. I think you've missed the boat. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So here we are in. March, um, it's last time we last time out we spoke WrestleMania, uh, WWF are on a high and they're they're tipping the um, the scales so to speak, and uh, this is the show that WCW put on a couple of weeks prior to WrestleMania to to really try and rival what WWF were putting on. On paper, I think we discussed the last episode. On paper, it looked absolutely incredible. Um, in execution, we will get into yeah. <laughs> how it compares. Yeah. On paper, mm. though, probably arguably one of the greatest looking pay-per-views of all time. Fair? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked before about the fact the roster is stacked. There's so much talent here. There's so much depth. Um, yeah, it's just a shame that shows aren't executed on paper, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let, let's talk how they got us here. So let's talk Thunder. Um, at this point, last pay per view, which was WCW. What was uh, Super Brawl? Super Brawl 8, yeah. I think we were both pretty enthused about WCW and the things we were that they were doing. Yep. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> that enthusiasm <laughs> for me hasn't continued through and I almost feel like last month I was being fed lots and lots of chocolate that I love and I loved it. I've now I've ate so much chocolate I feel sick. It's a... Does, does that sort of... I, could you relate yeah, to that? I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think we both got the enthusiasm from the... Cause I, I think I remember we didn't love... Was it sold out, I think? Yeah. Which was the maybe the first pay-per-view of the year. That's right. And then uh, we we really enjoyed everything around Super Brawl. I enjoyed the shows, enjoyed the pay-per-view, and then... I went into this having seen the card and you feel the enthusiasm and then, I don't know, it just didn't, 
right off right off the bat, it just didn't feel like it connected the same way. No. No, no it didn't. Let's let's talk about sort of highlights that came out of Thunder which built us up towards the pay-per-view. Um We've got the ongoing st- storyline with Kevin Nash and the Giant and JJ Dillon and the banning of the Powerbomb. Yeah. Um, we had the Giant challenging the full NWO, of which there are many, yeah. to, to a handicap match. Which, yeah. Which, which was, I mean, that's an interesting... I, I was going with it. I was absolutely going with it. But... Later on in the episode, he literally beats up the whole NWO. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I get it, you know, in terms of what they're trying to do because they are making him look like he he has no fear. He's a big monster. He's you know going to do whatever it takes to be able to to get to Nash. Um, it seemed a bit odd for him to call them all out and be, you know, I, I didn't know at the time it was being said what that was going to look like later in mm. the night and in the event. Um, but yeah, it, it shows him as brave and then they show him as very strong when he gets to it because he's basically able to take everyone out. So I do get that. It just it didn't, I don't know, it didn't grab me. Me neither. The, the, all I was thinking was you're, you're literally burying your your heel stable who dominate your programming. Yeah. And, you know, if it had been just the B-Squad members uh-huh. or whatever that were out, then, yeah, have him take them all out. That's fine. But there were some big players in there. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And it, it did start out. It started Conan attacked him and Scott Norton and Brian Adams and people like that. And you're thinking, fine. Like, that's... Yeah. They're a bit like the, the foot soldiers. That's what they're there for. Yeah, <laughs> to be knocked down, but then Hogan starts getting knocked down, and yeah, uh, silly. Yeah, um, we had a really good little bit with Eddie Guerrero and Chavo. Yeah, and the, this is really um, the first time for us, certainly, what we've been watching. The first time we've seen Eddie get any sort of decent TV time, where he's been able to show his charisma and speak on the mic and. Um, yeah. I think it, we've seen him maybe a couple of times in the ring, but really, this is the most we've seen of him. Yeah. Um, we end up getting Eddie and Chavo having a bit of an argument, and they, I think Chavo is the one who challenges him to a match. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's the stipulation of the match is that if Chavo should beat Eddie, then Eddie needs to start carrying himself like a Guerrero should. Mm-hmm. Um, respecting the rules of, of matches and, and that sort of thing. Um, of course, Eddie wins that match yeah. <laughs> uh, and start really begins to lay on the disrespect to Chavo yeah. straight away. Yeah, I, I quite I quite like that story. Um, I, me too. And I, I like like you say it's it spotlights Eddie um, and you know it brings it's probably the first time like you say, that he's been given decent microphone time, certainly in what we watched. Um, and it feels like a good role for him. You know, he's, he's the, the older uncle. He's the one who's willing to take the shortcuts and do whatever it takes and clearly kind of thriving in the role of belittling uh, Javo and um, trying to make him like Eddie. Uh, I, I, I thought that was one of the better storylines on the go here, actually. Yeah, me too. 
and it continues in the pay-per-view. We can talk about that. Yeah. Um, really, the, the only other highlight for me from this Thunder show was Jericho, um, yeah. who is he ends up challenging. He, he, he's running his mouth, as he tends to do. He's talking about taking out Ray, taking out uh, Juventud, Guerrero, yeah. um, and he's... he's going to be facing Dean Malenko at this pay-per-view and he's talking about taking him out as well and he lets his mouth sort of run and challenges Malenko to a match that night on Thunder Yeah. Um, and this has been talked up as a great opportunity for Malenko to go into the pay-per-view as a champion um, and it plays out really well the match goes ahead Malenko beats Jericho who, uh, who is wearing Hooventud's mask which he has yeah. been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got him in the Texas Cloverleaf, which is Malenko's sort of patented finishing submission. And uh, Jericho appears, who is clearly now not in the Texas Cloverleaf, and, and, and bats him over the head with his belt and take the mask yeah. off. And it's Lenny Lane. Yeah. I think we've spoke about on here before, very briefly. Yeah. Um, and it's just cool. It's a good wee angle. And it's, it's really typical of Jericho and what we've seen him so far. Dastardly yeah. heel behaviour. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought this was good. I thought it was clever. Um, like you mentioned, the fact that Jericho's been wearing the mask. So this isn't out of nowhere. This isn't him going through this match and you're looking thinking, well, why is he wearing the mask? He's mm-hmm. never done that before. Yeah. Um, we've seen him wearing it. We've seen him come out wearing it and things like that. And it got me because I didn't know this was going to happen yeah, when I was too. watching it. I was questioning um, why is he losing the title yeah. just before the pay-per-view. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then, you know, it, it, I quite like the twist as well of Jericho also hits Lenny Lane with the belt. I mean, he's, he was just—he <laughs> was just using him. He was purely using him for this purpose. Um, and then, you know, the the announcers confirm it wasn't Jericho that got beat, so there's no title switch or anything like that. And that just added to the character he's playing uh, pretty well. Definitely. Um, the, the only other note that I have here is, is that this finishes the same way as every other. Nitro or Thunder does with the NWO in the ring and some guys from WCW fighting against them. Yeah. Um, but but I didn't write who was fighting in the main event. Yeah. Was that the, the Giant versus the NWO? Was that how it finished? So what I've got is um, the Sting Savage um, situation being the, the end. Okay. Um, so We've got uh, Sting and Savage in the ring, supposedly a, a world title match. Um, the uh, We get Scott Hall entering the ring and attacking Sting. Uh, Scott Hall, who we know has the title shot at Uncensored. Um, so Sting is going to retain Savage, then attacking Hall. Uh, Hogan coming in, going after Savage. Um Savage and Sting kind of clearing the ring of everyone else, very much making it look like they, uh, these two are, are affiliated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got the, the Brutus Beefcake character appearing again. Um, the disciple. Think, yeah. Uh, the commentators mentioned that he was, he was referenced as the apocalypse Ooh, on Nitro. Uh-oh. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So Savage and Sting. Kind of look like they're uh, together 
Uh, certainly in a sense of Savage isn't affiliated with NWO. He wanted this match to go down one-on-one and all that. Um, and they're very much playing up the there is respect between these two angle. Yep. Um, so yeah, that that was, if my notes are in the right order, <laughs> that was how I've got it as, as finishing. No, that sounds right. Um, interestingly, and off to a tangent here, but Beefcake, um, I was listening to a pod, uh, the, the Lapsed Fan podcast uh, yesterday because I've been watching King of the Ring 93, um, which I'll speak about a little bit later on when we get to a certain match. And uh, they were talking about Brett's book and issues that him and Hogan had. And he was basically... Brett was insinuating that Beefcake was like Hogan's errand boy. Um, and, and I think we know this, that Hogan, Hogan is the, the sort of walking epitome of jobs for the boys. Uh, yeah. Wherever he goes, he gets jobs for his for his mates. And like, is there a, a bigger, a better example as like Beefcake turning up as this weird looking biker character? And not really doing anything at all. He's not even intimidating, you know, he just looks a bit silly. Yeah, and they're they're bigging him up as well. The announcers are like, Who is this guy? And you know, he it, don't get me wrong, he's big, you know, he he's obviously in amazing shape, but I don't know, they they, they talk about him as if he's like the most intimidating character you've ever seen. Yeah. And there's like these bigger guys around him in the ring. Um yeah, it's just a bit a bit weird. But I'd odd. say I, a contender for Beefcake getting this spot might be Axel Jim Duggan being brought in and basically squashing uh, Austin to win the US title. And you- that was that was uh, very much jobs for the boys. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Talking to Axel, we see him on this episode of Thunder. Yeah, something that, <laughs> that I wish I'd never sent to you turned you off almost immediately. Maybe that's why you're so angry about this pay per view. <sighs> oh, yeah. Why is Axel Jim Duggan still going at this point? Yeah, no, nobody needs to be seeing him in on a pay per view in 1998. Nah. Yeah, Goldberg's already got the the niche for three point stands. <laughs> Stand down, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Duggan was probably telling uh, Goldberg that he couldn't do that. You know, they can't both be doing that on the same night. That's uh, that's out of order. <laughs> Although saying that, clearly uh, WWF took some sort of inspiration from Axel Jim Duggan because it wasn't that that far after here that we had the Godfather shouting about Ho as well. Wow! Sorry. Nice. No, that was pretty good. Cool. <laughs> uh, so here we are. Shall we go into the pay per view? Let's do it. Uncensored, nineteen ninety eight. We've got the Dream Team, Shavoni, Bobby the Brain, Heenan, and Iron Mike Tenay yep. on commentary. Um, one of my favourite things about this pay per view, and there wasn't many, was after every match, Heenan always said that he was going to do like the sort of <laughs> wrapping up, and then he'll go, "Yeah, I got it from here." After you, Tenay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that as well. Take it away, Tanae, and then Tanae sort of wraps it up, and then Heenan goes, and th- and 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 that's your that was your match or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that that was good, and it's such a little thing, but he just he, he executes it so well. It's it's um, it kind of got me every time he did it because yeah. the first time you think is that just once, but no, it's it's every match. That's good. Though. <laughs> yep. 
So we start out with Eddie coming out with Chavo. Chavo's got the petted lip like he doesn't really want to be there. Um, but after the stipulation of the match on Thunder, he's he's essentially got to do whatever Eddie tells him to do. So yeah, uh, he's ringside with him. So we've got Eddie Guerrero with Chavo versus Booker T for the world television title. Um, highlight of this match for me, apart from the action in the ring, is the sign that read "Mean Gene is my dad." <laughs> I'm always missing these signs. <laughs> ah, I, I think when we've got shows like this, and well, I maybe didn't know right at the start what I was going to think of it, but I'll know better the next time. I think I'll just watch the signs. Look and out not for the, signs. Yeah. It says a lot about the about the wrestling that's on the show. <laughs> um, what did you think of this match? Ah, I, I, I thought it was fine. Um, <laughs> it. It wasn't the best, it wasn't great, but it, it, it kind of did the job it was there to do. Um, it felt like, you know, Booker T's on a massive run and he's defending on almost every show. Mm-hmm. And I, I never, I didn't go into it thinking Eddie's going to win. Uh, but I think they were trying to further the Eddie travel story with it because, um, you get Booker T. Um, going through a few of his, his sort of finishing moves and all mm-hmm. that. Um, Eddie's pretty good at selling. He, he, he always does a good job of that. Um, you, these top rope, top rope missile drop kicks that Booker T executes look pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> so I tall for doing that. Eh? I know. I, I don't really remember seeing these in his, uh, WWE run. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've seen him do it on a couple of shows now and it, it looks great. Um, You've got Booker T getting the win after one of these massive uh, missile drop kicks, and uh, Chavo just looking quite pleased on the outside. <laughs> um, and then you've got Eddie confronting Chavo. You know who are you for, me or him? And then uh, he allows Chavo to kind of walk past him, pretend he's calmed down, and then he, he attacks Chavo from behind. So you know. You've got Booker continuing his momentum, but you've also got this. Clearly, this storyline is is going to be the focus for uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chavo for for a while. Which yeah. I, I found, I, I do find it an entertaining story, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think big picture wise, you've got Booker putting together a really strong body of work as far as what he's doing and defending the championship. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, like, with it being the school holidays, I've had my nephews. Yeah, recently I must show them this match just to to show them what happens if you disrespect your uncle. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Um, but aye, good to see Eddie on uh, pay-per-view. And my, I was kind of thinking a bit like The Rock and what we've talked about, a bit like The Outlaws and what we've talked about. This is sort of early version of what we saw of Eddie in, in WWF and WWE. So it was yeah. sort of entertaining to see that. One one of the things I picked up on it, and I've put it in my notes, and it's not the only time on in this card that I've put it in my notes, is I kind of miss watching stuff like this when heels used to wrestle in a heelish way, mm-hmm. because it it feels like nowadays your your heels are pretty much the same as your baby faces in terms of actual in ring work a lot of the time. Yep. it's just when they take the microphone or something like that, they'll you know be the heel, but you know taking shortcuts. 
um, you know, just things like rake to the eyes, referees turns, you hit a low blow, you know, mm-hmm. th- those kind of things. Um, and it's definitely happening more than once on this card. And Eddie was very good at that side of things. I agree. That's a real good point. Um, and and even obviously Eddie's a, a sort of high flying, high impact sort of wrestler, but as a heel, you don't really see that traditionally. You more see mm-hmm. like what you're talking about there, the raking eyes, dirty punches, a low blow if they can get away with it, kick between the legs sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's a lost art, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. Um, next match, I'm going to give you the backstory of this one, Adam. Uh, Conan of the NWO believes that Juventud Guerrero has let down the luchador community after being unmasked by Jericho. Yeah. That, I mean, talk about your your Hogan Warriors and your your Rock Austins. <laughs> I was gripped by that backstory. I'll give you the 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 whole sum of 30 seconds to talk through this match. Uh, okay, I've got a few notes. Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of reminded of the story that you just talked through. I've got Juventud, always impressive, high-flying. Um, Conan is, is a funny one because he's he's always associated with, you know, obviously he's being a, a huge star in, in Mexico, but he doesn't wrestle like a lot of his... his uh, counterparts he is a bigger guy um he's going for quite a lot of submission moves throughout this match Mm -hmm. and very much letting you know trying to ground the high flyer and and letting his his uh, bigger power um let him take control of the match uh and then he gets rolled up by he goes for a nonchalant cover on juventude who rolls uh, conan's shoulders on the mat for the surprise win um, Conan not very impressed with that hits a, a big DDT throws Juventud out of the ring yeah um, he's pretty pissed off with uh, what, I, what I assume would have been an upset um, mm-hmm. it always felt like Conan was maybe the the biggest star from kind of Mexican wrestling um, and he's maybe not supposed to lose matches like that but it was fine I mean there was logic there the, the bigger guy trying to ground the high flyer um, and then the the sort of cocky heel getting his arrogance getting the better of him and, and the upset win. Yeah, that's fair. There was something, I've got the same sort of note as you there. I've wrote there's a combination of really impressive impressive submissions by Conan. Mm-hmm. Um, although there there was one instance where it, I think Shibone uh, refers to it as some sort of rocking horse submission. And I was like, oh, he's just broken his neck. He had his, okay. he had his sort of, he had his neck or his head between his legs and sort of dropped him, but he was holding, ah, yeah, holding yeah. his body and legs up. My God, that was uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, it seems that there can't be a pay per view without us noticing some sort of horrific, almost death. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was uncensored. Now, ah, so that kind of thing's fine. Aye, yeah. totally. <laughs> just, just on that, like you know, like a lot of times we're crazy things were happening in matches and you get Shivani and Heenan going, it is uncensored. Like, were, were we supposed to to understand that every match was no disqualification? Or? I don't know. They they didn't, the, there wasn't much clarity about that. <laughs> um, there's obviously, I think there's some matches where, you know, we're, we're about to have J.J. Dillon come out and talk about the powerbomb 
jackknife powerbomb being made legal for this one match. So I suppose that's a outlawed move being allowed for that one night. Mm. Um, I suppose the Hogan Savage is, is in a cage. Um, but I don't know if, is there not a match that seems to be false count anywhere and that kind of, I don't know if it was ever mentioned beforehand. And then I was really confused by it when it started happening. That, well, we'll get, that was the, um, the triple jeopardy match for the, the US title. Okay. Um, but yeah, you just mentioned it there. We got a Dylan bomb. Yeah. The highlight of any WCW pay per view. When, <laughs> let's just call him, we should start calling him Charisma Dylan. Yeah. Swagger down and, uh, drop, drop the bomb that, to mean Gene that the power bomb would be allowed to use. What a hammer blow that was. <sighs> Absolutely. I, I always think when I see JJ Dillon, because I've heard the story before, you know, at the time, um, it would have been when WCW were winning quite convincingly and, uh, Vince McMahon told Bret Hart, I can't afford your contract and all uh-huh. that. Apparently, JJ Dillon was asked to take quite a big pay cut, as were a lot of performers. Outrageous. And he walked away instead. Now, imagine you'd had JJ Dillon and his charisma. During the Attitude Era in WWF. Oh my God. That's just I mean, blown my mind. He, he probably would have overshadowed Austin. Dylan v. Austin. Imagine <laughs> that in the WrestleMania marquee. <laughs> oh, what could it be? Yeah. Yeah. It's what one of those dream be? scenarios. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, oh, well. I might struggle to get over that. Um, yeah. But Sorry, yeah. My bad. We, 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 we get the power bomb is no longer outlawed for this match only. Yeah. Uh, and thank God, because who, who doesn't want to see Kevin Nash drop the giant on his head again? <laughs> yeah, there is that, that feeling as soon as it's announced that, oh God, it's going to happen again. They're going to do it again. <laughs> he's going to need more than that little neck brace that he's been wearing. Oofed. The old uh, Vince steroid, steroid trial neck brace. Uh, I've got to say, I wonder if, because obviously it wasn't meant to look as horribly dangerous as it did when he delivered the power bomb at uh, Super Brawl. Um, but do you think they were always going to do a story about if, you know, he power bombed him and he got injured? Or do you think they just saw how bad it looked and thought, oh, we have to play up to this? This yeah, is it. That's a good question. No idea. I wonder if they just pivoted. I was really, uh, you and I were just talking about the Kevin Nash, um, Broken Skull Sessions that, that he was on and I was really hoping that they would speak about that but they, they kind of jumped through 1998 pretty quickly Yeah, um, but, and it was and never mentioned unfortunately. It might have been in one of the, I don't know, four hours of footage it looked like they cut out of it <laughs> True, <laughs> they, the, both of them seemed to be getting redder and redder as it went on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, So after, after Big JJ, I mean that's pretty early in the card to drop your biggest star but um, yeah. After JJ, we've got this really great lightweight championship match between Jericho and Malenko. Um, for me, this is probably the best match on the card. Yeah. Uh, just a really enjoyable, great technical wrestling match, which you would probably expect for these two. Yeah. Um, and I think the two of them probably really enjoyed working with each other. It kind of looked and felt like that. Um, really good technical match back and forth. Actually, Malenko got quite a lot of the match, which I suppose he would. You know, it looked like he 
he dominated for for quite a, a chunk of it. Um, I did notice a sign at the start of this yes. where Jericho tore up a Jericho rules sign in the <laughs> crowd, um, playing up to his his heel character, which I enjoyed. He said something like, "This guy doesn't deserve my hero <laughs> worship," or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a really good you know move for move. Lots of counters. Um, again, lots of logic in terms of the flow of the match and things like that. They're at times going for body parts on each other, mm-hmm. um, all that, you know, logical storytelling in the ring, which which I liked. Um, I never felt like we actually saw or got the chance to see the best of Malenko in WWE because um, he, when he joined, the, he very much within that, what were they called? The Radicals, mm-hmm. when they all came in in one go. He, he never felt, he probably felt like the fourth uh-huh. a lot of the time. Um, but they, you know, they should have just had him in being the, the guy that has good matches constantly. Yeah, he did a lot of, uh, they had, uh, of course they had the, the light, uh, the light. Wait, what is this? This is cruiserweight, isn't it? I'm saying light heavyweight. Is this cruiserweight championship? Yeah, this is gone? cruiserweight. Yeah, I've got cruiserweight written in my notes. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's cruiserweight. And and WWF they did the light heavyweight, and I'm sure that Malenko, you know, like matches with X Pack and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. We didn't really see the best of him, and I think I would be written him off from his WWF days as this, I don't know, sort of charisma, charismaless sort of, sort of nothing. Um, yeah. But like this match alone was enough to to show what he's good. I'm sure of. Have I seen him in ECW before as well? Um, and really good matches. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they, they always had two or three, you know, excellent mat wrestlers in ECW that, that would, I say always, but maybe not so much towards the end, but uh, they they would showcase them and then mm-hmm. inevitably they would end up moving on to, to one of the big companies. Yeah. Uh, something that you were talking about, storytelling and sort of believable storytelling, something that I really liked from this, was when Jericho would try and get Malenko in the line tamer, he would mm-hmm. be doing something to get out of it. He wouldn't just be yeah. crawling towards the ropes of that. He would be grabbing, you know, like in a in an MMA fight and you see guys putting on holds and you see the other guy mm-hmm. working to get out of it. You were getting a bit of that from Malenko and I liked that. Yeah, um, and that that is something that it often felt like you weren't living in reality watching professional wrestling because it, it did seem a lot of the time like people just allowed their opponent to do things to them um, so yeah it's, it's, it's nice to see that kind of thing how would you logically react if somebody's trying to do this to you mm-hmm. um, uh, eventually we and we get a nice clean finish as well which is a rarity in WCW at this point yeah. um, we've mentioned this before but Jericho the size that he is wrestling with these other kind of smaller guys he's almost um, you know like he's a big a big little man sort of thing um, yeah. the lion team where he puts on Malenko is brutal mm-hmm. um, I used to like when he did the walls or the lion team or like that where he, he almost had them like a like a U shape like double uh-huh. back really yeah, effective he, he kneels down on this one doesn't he uh-huh. um, and yeah it, it just makes the, the shape of Malenko go a, a really uncomfortable looking way. Yep. Um, so, so Jericho again, similar to Booker T, is putting together a bit of a body of work as as a dominant champion. 
um, yeah. along with his sort of dastardly heel character. Um, and then, and then we get this, it all came together for me. We see where the CM Punk pipe bomb came from. It was Mean Gene swaggering into the ring with his big dick energy and these provoking Di Malenko. Where, where, oh. where does this come from? It's, it's absolutely brutal and it's out of nowhere. It's uncalled for behaviour. <laughs> Very unprofessional. Uh, yeah, he's, he's telling him he, this is a match he should have won. He points out to him, like counts them out, the fact that he's 0 for 4 in big events. <laughs> Basically, just he, he calls him a loser. Uh-huh. That's what I've and got I, written in my notes. He, he calls him a bona fide loser. Yeah. And he, he asks him where he where he goes from here. And Malenko, you know, charismatic as ever, uh, one word response. He just says home and home. walks out. Uh, yeah, I, Again, the the thing I did like about this event, because I may never have seen it before, it's possible, um, I didn't know really how any of the matches were going to go. Or, yeah, same. And so when, when Mean Gene goes in the ring and just starts lambasting him, I, I, I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, Mean Gene's taking a bump here, surely. I've never <laughs> seen him go down. Malenko's surely got to punch him, but no. And I think no. Shivoni on commentary saying like I don't know if he's saying that Mean Gene had a hand in Malenko coming at WCW or he's like okay. they're, they're saying it like he's known him since he was a young man sort of thing Yeah, that does not give him <laughs> the authority to behave the way he was this man's supposed to be independent interviewing the talent <laughs> and and interestingly enough and um, Pat pointed this out to me on Instagram as well shout out Pat uh, when I was watching King of the Ring 93 yesterday, there's a match between Brett and, and Mr. Perfect, which we're get, obviously getting on this card, and that's why I watched it. And before it, there's a, a face-to-face interview with the two of them, with me and Gene, and he is stirring the pot like you've never never seen. He's, mm. did you, didn't you say this? Didn't you <laughs> say this, Brett? Yeah, you said this, and Perfect's getting wound up, and then he's... <laughs> You you said that you'd prefer to wrestle Mr. Hughes, and that's who Perfect had been fighting. And he's and then he starts provoking them about whose dad's tougher than the other dad because <laughs> they're both second generation superstars. <laughs> I like that. Okay, now Mean Gene. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate heel. Uh, <laughs> nobody saw it coming. Well, I mean. <laughs> Very out of character. Different if they're going to make this his character. <laughs> yeah, it does. I suppose looking back, it does seem like they've just totally buried Malenko. Um, <laughs> I mean, it'll be interesting to see because we will see. But where does he go from here? Because he's just been torn apart by Mean Gene. What I would like to see is a little vignette where Malenko walks in the front door and like Mean Gene's sitting in his living room. It's <laughs> Ready to say, like you know, like start start getting on him about the shoes he's wearing, the cereal he's having for his breakfast. <laughs> then at night time, why are you going to bed so early? That that that's money. Take note, wow. Eric Bischoff. <laughs> anyway, wow. um, so yeah, that was a good match. Yeah, good and match. The best yeah. one that we've had so far. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yep, 
Um, next one we get not quite yet. Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner, uh, taking on Lex Luger. Um, yep. For me, I mean, this must have lasted about four minutes or something. This was absolutely nothing. So like a, yeah. a Nitro or a Thunder match. Yeah, I, I didn't. I kind of didn't get it. There's a few reasons I don't get it. They they're building um, Scott Steiner. They've had him join and affiliate with the NWO. He's turned heel. He's got. It might be the biggest singles match that mm-hmm. he's had. Yeah. Um, well, it's he, a bit, he, he does. He does fight Ray Trailer on the night afterwards. He does until the next <laughs> night. Um, yeah. I, I, and I get, you know, they can play up the Rick story. I think they'd, they'd been mentioned a few times that Lex Luger had been really uh, friendly with Close the Steiners. With Steiners, yeah. Um, I, I can't, just looking at it from a storyline point of view, would you not just have Scott Steiner, you know, take Lex Luger apart? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Lex Luger's a big player. He was always near the top of the cards in WCW, but if this is your new heel that you're looking to build... Um, when I saw the match and who it was going to be, I thought, ah, I assume Steiner will look pretty strong here mm-hmm. and go over. Um, but no, um, there is a bit of a, a messy situation as, um, we get, is it first interference by Scott Norton? Mm-hmm. The, the first one that comes out. Um, and Rick Steiner comes down, um, distracting his brother. Uh, as Luger hits uh, Scott Steiner from behind. Um, Scott Norton attacking Rick Steiner from behind, but all while that's going on, Luger gets the pin on Scott. So it's it's not like it's a clean loss. It just, I don't know, surprised me a bit with where things are with each of the main players here. It was a bit silly. Um, I think uh, I was listening to the 83 Weeks episode about this and Bischoff said... Well, Bischoff, he always sounds like he's really remorseful, like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> immediately in a sort of downer, but he's like, we were just trying to make it like a sort of transitional match. But if it's a transitional match, you surely make your heel, who you've just split up from his face team, you yeah. know, you have him go over in a sort of despicable way. But Yeah, I, I just I just didn't get it, to, nah. be, to be honest. Same. Um, which takes us on to our the, the match that you mentioned earlier. Falls Count Anywhere Triple Jeopardy match. I don't know if WWE had a sort of trademark on Triple Threat or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I'm also, I was maybe forgetting, is, is there some sort of phrase like any time Raven wrestles, it's Raven rules or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird, isn't it? And kayfabe, like, you just have this weird guy that's got a bunch of guys in fucking gimp outfits following him about, and he dictates the rules of his own match. Yeah, I mean, is, is nobody ever questioning that? <laughs> Come on, JJ. You can't, you surely can't ban Kevin Nash, who is 12 feet tall from using his own finishing move, but this weird guy looks like he needs a shower. He's fine to do whatever he wants. And I think... I think we were the same in the. I, I really liked the Raven character. Mm-hmm, um, absolutely. And, you know, Benoit, one of the best wrestlers ever. And uh, there's something about DDP as well. I wasn't always his biggest fan, but he's got something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's just the charisma or, or what. He's 
he's very watchable in his matches and things like that. And the fans are pretty behind him. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a good following by this point. Um, so I was really enthusiastic for the match, but it it was I, I enjoyed some of it, but it was strange. Mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, it was basically a hardcore match, wasn't it? Kinda, yeah. Um, there were a few things that I hadn't really see when this happens a couple of times, but right at the start, and then I think again a little bit later on. All three of them hook up together. I like that too. Three way um, collar and tie up. I've never seen that. before. Yeah, no, neither had I. And how many triple threat matches have we seen? Mm-hmm. And I've never seen that. Uh, so sure. that that was that was a a sort of nice twist on it. And you know, with a lot of triple threat matches, you're your logic is that someone for a period of time has to be out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it, it went a long time with the three of them just kind of stopping each other. Yep. Um, yeah. It it was a match I was really excited for and I just didn't feel like it quite delivered. Yeah, it, it just, I didn't expect it to go the way that it went with the site, uh, with the the garbage cans and the signs and the chairs mm-hmm. and the yeah, I didn't expect I I didn't expect the the false count anywhere aspect to it, so I didn't see it going sort of out into the crowd and out out up yeah. the aisle. And, um, they had DDP sort of taken out for a period of time. Yeah, uh, not a long period of time though. No, you know, like if you think of that, Sean Triple H Benoit match at WrestleMania twenty. Um, who gets taken out? Is it Michaels gets taken out? Think so. Yeah. For a good period of time, and you have a really good bit between Benoit and Triple H. Yeah. But yeah, it's just too messy when yeah. all three are involved through such a high percentage of it. Um, there were a few fun moments, and like you say, you mentioned um, the the hardcore matches. It does have that feel mm. to it. Um, there's there's use of uh, a trash can, a crutch. Um, there K- is kitchen sink. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then we get situations like where there's the I think is it a sleeper that uh, DDP puts on Benoit while Benoit's holding Raven in the sleeper, and then there's a double jaw breaker executed, and you know you get these kind of things and a lot of these matches and then mm-hmm. there's Benoit doing his rolling German suplexes and after two of them DDP grabs Benoit round the waist and hits the German on him. That was well, good. Yeah. Um, and then, like more uh, of that sort of thing is what you're kind of looking for rather than yeah, the hardcore aspect. Of it. Yeah. Um, there was the uh, what the cardboard looking sign then when uh, Raven hits DDP with that, but it's just cardboard covered. It's got, as I know, is it supposed to be metal? But, yeah, uh, like a stop sign. Yeah. Um, and then the the table being set up and DDP placed on it uh, as we go towards the, the finish of the match. Um, Benoit getting Raven up onto the top turnbuckle. Uh, DDP recovering, knocking Benoit <laughs> to the outside. DDP hitting the diamond cutter on Raven <laughs> through, kind of through more, I don't know, bouncing off the table. Um, that looked pretty sore. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that that didn't really work. The table just uh, did not budge. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I like a diamond cutter. It's a you know one of those eye-catching finishing moves, and it's been really protected. And they are very much doing the you know out of nowhere mm-hmm. element. Yeah, definitely. Um, much like's happened with the the RKO, but yeah, um, we've got DDP retaining. Um, we had. Benoit looking pretty furious, but he doesn't really do anything. Uh, certainly not towards DDP. Um, and Raven being pulled from the ring by the flock. Uh, Benoit kind of, you know, the, the respect lifting DDP to his feet. Um, really selling the, the fury on his face the whole way through doing this, but not doing anything heelish in yep. the process. Yeah. Yeah. A little disappointed to be honest with that, but, um, like you say, there were some good bits in it. Yeah, it just, um, you know, it kind of, when, when we looked at the card, it kind of leapt out mm-hmm. as that'll be amazing and it just didn't quite deliver. So then then we, we jump straight to Kevin Nash versus the Giant. And uh, yeah. no, I was going to say no holds barred, but it's no power bombs barred. Um yeah, again, this was like, again, a bit like Luger versus um, Steiner. It's kind of a bit like, not, compared, certainly compared to their last match they had, Powerbomb aside where he drops him on his head, it was pr- a pretty mm-hmm. good match. Yeah. This was this was just a bit of nothing again. Um, yeah, uh, I, I probably wasn't expecting a great match, but I just didn't feel like it really hit on the story the way it, could have. I like this has been a good portion of their TV time. Yeah. Uh, between the, the last pay per view and it didn't really feel like that. You know, like Nash is making all these sort of <laughs> cheeky um, sort of actions and all that. Like it looks like he's having far too much fun for it to be yeah. any sort of grudge match. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's approaching it in a really lighthearted way, which uh-huh. is not the way you would expect somebody to be reacting to seeing a giant mm-hmm. um, and he, they should have played up more I think that Nash feared him in a one-on-one situation um, whereas we we end up with is it Brian Adams uh-huh. that does the a run-in with a baseball bat um, and then more NWO coming in um, Adams then running at the giant with the bat Giant headbutts him, takes the bat, breaks it over his knee. They're still obviously trying to make the giant kind of look indestructible, mm-hmm. is what they're going for here. Um, we've got some kind of B squad members of uh, the NWO out. Uh, Vincent, um, Conan, Adams. Um, from there, we've got Nash with a second baseball bat breaking it over. I think they say it's the giant shoulder. Shoulder, eh? Yeah, um, then Nash looking like he is going for the jackknife powerbomb. Um, the giant, uh, the, the the thing I've got in my notes is he kind of starts doing a version of hulking up. <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> Nash's face is quite funny when he sees him. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they all flee. The giant's the winner by, by DQ. Um, it's obviously designed to keep running the, the, the story between the two. Um, I don't know, it just didn't really deliver 
anything. Nah, it's a bit rubbish. And uh, clearly the baseball bat theme will continue into yeah. April. Uh, much to your happiness. <laughs> We're, something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, next up, probably the match that I was most looking forward to on the card. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, we get... And I, I, I feel like they've built this up fairly decently. Uh, yeah. Sort of under under card, under Tony sort of way. Um, Kurt Hennig of the NWO with Rick Rude taking on Bret Hart, who they've, they've sort of tried to align as with WCW, but I think that's only really coming for the commentators. We've never really had storyline yeah. to say like, Bret Hart is here and you know he's he's never had a based on what we've watched I should say but you know we've never had a promo from Bret saying I'm aligned with WCW I'm going to take the NWO out but the, yeah. the commentators are certainly saying he said that he's going to take them out brick by brick mm-hmm. um, but I, 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 no, I don't recall seeing that and probably one of the differences between WWF and WCW is you would have seen that because you would have got a package yeah before this match, but you just don't get that at all. Yeah, I've heard um, the the Tony Schiavone podcast is quite good for they they go back and from when Schiavone would have been in WCW, so he's not seen them, or he certainly didn't wasn't aware of what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the only things he was aware of were the things he was told to give away finishes of and stuff <laughs> like that. But he's reacting to things he's seeing, and the biggest differences he's picking up are. You know, they are really selling this to you. You know, you, you watch the, the show before a pay per view and he feels like he's caught up on the story, even though uh, he, you don't need he, to be watching the TV. Yeah. Yeah. So he feels like, ah, I can buy the pay per view and watch it and I'm fully caught up. I know what's going on. Um, and he thought that was a, a big difference. He, he mentioned it a few times between the, the two companies is that, WCW, whether it was just, you know, lack of intelligence about it or maybe arrogance about it, uh, assuming people are watching everything mm. that they're putting out. Uh, he said that you, you're not going to grab a casual viewer the way that the WWE would have. Uh, interestingly, it's something Nash brought up in that Broken Skull Sessions. Um, he said round about when Tyson started uh, appearing on TV, Round about sort of WrestleMania 14 time, he'd said to Bischoff, Have you ever watched their TV and their packages? He's like, They're putting together Hollywood style packages mm-hmm. before every match. I think he'd said to him, You'll be working for Vince one day um, yeah. and you'll notice the difference or something like that. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yeah. And um, he was right. <laughs> aye, he was. Uh, I mean, he, he's not. He's not shy about talking himself up as old. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably take it with a pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah, uh, he probably, with the money he was on, wouldn't care whether they were going to win long term or not. Yeah, again, that's something interesting that he was talking about was creative control. And Austin was asking him if he had similar contract to Hogan as far as creative control was concerned. And he said, I didn't really care about creative control. I was getting next to near enough three million. If they yeah. were using me wrong, then that was on them. Yeah, it's it's funny the sort of the difference in mentality with some people. You would never get a, a Bret Hart saying something like that. No, um, you know, in his mind, wins and losses matter, 
um, even in a, you know, a scripted um, sports entertainment, it still matters. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, clearly it wasn't. It certainly wasn't the focus of uh, Nash's mind at the time. No. Um, what What do you think of this matchup between uh, uh, Mr. Per- uh, Kurt Henning and and Brett? Really disappointing, but I probably feared it going in. Um, there's really long periods where there's like stalling moves, you know, headlocks and things like that. There seemed to be a headlock that went on forever. Um, By Brett? Yeah. Hmm. And I get, I, I know we'll be in a situation here where Henning probably can't work a, a long match doing all the selling that we were used to seeing him do back in the old days. Um, there are a few moments, you know, I, I, I sort of recognise them from a couple of the the matches I'd seen them have in WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the Intercontinental match was that a SummerSlam, I think. Nin- 91. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then the King of the Ring match. Yep. 93, yep. Yeah. Um, so where are we? We're five years on from that. Um, he, he, he does some, you know, there, there's a few, a few moments like the Henning selling with a spin when Hart threw him. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got, uh, uh, what the the elements that I did like were um, Henning goes after Brett's knee. Um, you know he's he's doing a a pretty calculated attack on it. With the logic being he can't put me in the sharpshooter if I mess up his knee. Yep. So there's at least a, a bit of logical storytelling there. Um, we do have some heelish interference from Rick Rude who uh, punches Hart when he's got the sharpshooter on uh, Kurt Henning. <laughs> Uh, somehow the ref didn't see any of this. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. The referee <laughs> doesn't hear this, yeah. the, the banging on the mat there. And he, 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 the ref must be trying to not see it, to not see it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite something, the fact that he misses all that. Um, yeah, we've got Henning again locking in a figure of four and we've got Rude helping from the outside. Yeah, um, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what I missed most from it was just because I'm so used to the the legendary selling ability of Kurt Henning and he doesn't take a huge number of moves where it's needed mm-hmm. in it. And I think they're just playing it a bit safer, I assume, for the sake of Henning's health and ability to get through a match. Yeah. Um, so compared to the, the other matches that I've seen them do, it felt like a letdown. Um there was, you know, Bret Hart does his, his bulldog and his middle rope elbow drop. Um, we do get Henning applying the perfect plex. Um, and Bret Hart kicking out. Um, I, I, I liked that the perfect plex was, was in play there. I, I don't um, remember what they called it. Did they just call it a fisherman suplex? I, I assume so. I've written in my notes perfect plex, uh, but they won't, they won't have said that, I'm sure. Um, I, I I didn't mind the finish. Um, I, I you know what was it a sunset flip with Hart rolling through, grabbing the legs and and applying the sharpshooter. Yeah, and he, he he taps out just before Root can interfere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at least you know there was a a clean finish, just. Um, yeah. But it's it's not going to compete with the the matches that I've seen them have previously. Well. Interestingly, this is why I went back and watched that King of the Ring match, 1983, um, because with the exception of the interference from Rick Rude, which was pretty heavy, 
to mm-hmm. be fair. You know, he was getting involved a lot in this match. Fair, I would say, 75% similar match. Oh, really? Basically okay. followed very similar blueprint. A lot a lot of the, the exact same things happened, um, which was interesting to me. Um, yeah. And it, you wonder if you look back on things a little bit with rose-tinted glasses a little bit. Um, yeah, and I think that's natural, the kind of nostalgia element of it. Um, yeah, I I didn't remember, but as I've not gone back and watched these matches for a long time, but I didn't remember there being as many like stalling moves, but there maybe were. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's something you did get that that headlock control. Um, you did get that a lot in Brett's matches. Um, I don't know if you maybe just sort of don't remember that from the sort of other parts of his game. Yeah. Um, but I can remember it in the WrestleMania 10 match with uh, with Owen as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was like his go-to control the pace sort of move. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did enjoy this. I, I've got written down here, this is a type of match that young, a young version of myself really enjoyed watching. Okay. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit split on that. Um it's something I noticed about Rick Rudy really vicious with his mm-hmm. interference. It's a sh- I assume he's too badly injured to be able to wrestle. Yeah, I think he's and he's claimed his in, I think he's claimed his insurance policy uh, by this point. Okay. So when when they did that, I think there was very limited what they were allowed to do. Because um, obviously, they're I think they they give up their policy basically if they if they properly go back into the ring um, yeah, I think it, it was neck with him wasn't it I yeah think. I think so mm-hmm. I, I think um, I think Perfect did have a similar insurance yeah. policy um, yeah I think he he ended up giving his up because um, like I think the years that he was basically the the sidekick for Mr. Perfect and all that he was for Rick Flair the, oh yeah sorry yeah, for Ric Flair. Um, he was claiming the the money at that Insurance, point. Insurance, eh? Yeah. Turtleneck perfect was good. Mm-hmm. Good on the outside. Uh, uh, he's another, He there's there's a kind of natural charisma about him. Definitely. That just, he, he, he fills the screen, he's very watchable. Um, I always liked, well, I say I always liked, I probably hated him as a kid, but I always liked Rick Rude as well, because mm-hmm. I think he's just a really good heel. Um, there's... Like you mentioned, the aggression. Um, yeah, there's there's something about him that uh, you you know he's going to do something. He's going to, mm-hmm. uh, in a heelish way, he's going to interject himself in the situation. Um, he's a he's a wrestler. I didn't really appreciate when I was young, but when you go back and watch his stuff, he was really good. Yeah. Um, I think he he carried the warrior to a lot of good matches yeah. as well. He did a great pile driver. I seem to remember. Yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, so Brett comes away for the win and again gets a sort of beat down afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so from one match with really heavy manager interference to another, um, we've got the WCW World title match between Sting and Scott Hall going on Yeah, second last because heaven forbid... 
Terry Bollea doesn't get the, the billing. Um, so Scott Hall won his title match, uh, his title uh, shot at, I want to say, one at World War Three. Yeah. In uh, November '97 or something like that, he's been sitting waiting uh, to get this title shot for a while now. Um, he eventually gets it, and I, and I believe that we're supposed to be under the impression, and I'm sure it's referenced on a Nitro that. Hogan has said if if Hall wins the title, he'd basically bring the title back to the NWO and give it to Hogan. Um. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think as a as a fan watching it now, it, it did make me think. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if they gave the title to Scott Hall? Because uh-huh. then, what way does that go? And I don't know if you know, I because I know Scott Hall was never world champion. I knew he wasn't going to win this match, but just sort of thinking if you're a viewer at the time when it's all actually happening, if it's just Sting v Scott Hall and there's no NWO, it's maybe not that interesting because you assume Sting's walking away with it. Mm. But the fact that they've planted this Hogan and NWO element probably would have made a lot of people think, ah, Scott Hall might win this. Maybe. Uh, And from my point of view, I know that the Wolfpack's coming somewhere in this year, but Mm -hmm. I've no idea when. So... This part of me is thinking, does he actually, does he win this? And this is where the split in the NW comes from and, mm-hmm. um, and and all that. But like for me, it was good to see Scott Hall in that, that billing of a title match. I think, he, yeah. I think he, I think we've spoke about this before. For me, he's a total package as far as everything you want in a champion's concerned. Yeah. Um, he's really, really great in the ring. He's got a lot of charisma. He's great on the mic. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the most charismatic, uh, and probably the, the the sort of fan favorite with NW. Yeah, um, yeah. I've got in my notes that he's just a brilliant all round heel. I mean, all his mannerisms, everything he says and does, but the way he acts towards his opponents as well, like the mm-hmm. disrespect he always shows them with his, you know, his toothpick flick and things, just <laughs> the, the, and gesturing towards them and all oh. that kind of thing there's not a lot do that he's just he's he's got that about him um and yeah i mean charismatic it's he's absolutely one of the most charismatic performers i've seen um and i've got to assume if he'd been a bit you know better from uh you know the liability point mm-hmm. of view that he, he probably would have had a title run yeah yeah it's a shame um, yeah, like just on that, like if anybody doesn't need a manager <laughs> to yeah. to sort of carry them, and you know, like the Heyman Lesnar type relationship, mm-hmm. we, we we don't need that for Scott Hall, and we certainly don't no. need Dusty here. Um, no. he pl- and he plays <laughs> his part in this yeah. match, but yeah, we we don't need we, we didn't need Dusty in the NWO. We he's done nothing since he's. Since he's come across, has he? Yeah, I, I, I've got to assume because he's he's, you know, he's there with him. He's in the corner, but you know, other than a bit bit of interference and stuff, the match isn't going differently if he's not there. No. There's they they could have basically done everything, but I suppose the the initial shock value as well of Dusty being one of the most uh, WCW guys, and everyone 
knew he was, you know, Booker for a period of time and, and all that kind of thing as well. So he's had influence behind the scenes and the shock value of him making the jump, it, it's gone by this stage. It's, yeah. it's, it's just another guy who's standing in the corner. Yeah, totally. Totally. And for me, that's what sort of mars this match is that it's, it relies too heavily on Dusty getting involved. Like mm-hmm. I say, we've just seen a match where Rick Rude is really heavily involved as a manager and, and the ex- basically the exact same uh, plays out here. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was okay. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't write many notes on it because it's quite short. Um, it feels a little bit like we're burying Scott Hall a wee bit in a, in a really good opportunity. You know, that yeah, you're not really getting the impression that apart from, you know, Dusty drops the elbow and Mm-hmm. We seem to be uh, having a massive shock that's, that Sting's then uh, kicked out of it, but, but realistically, mm-hmm. you don't really see Scott Hall winning it. Yeah, we we actually get, now I've written on this one, Sting's version of hulking up um, <laughs> after after some Scott Hall punches. Yeah, uh, I suppose it's maybe the the unknown element of either Dusty or someone, NWO, getting involved that potentially could have helped Hall win the match and win the belt. Um but yeah, it it never during the match it never actually looks like it's is gonna happen even when we get a we get a ref bump from uh, <laughs> Mark Mark Curtis who does this like eye roll glazed look in the corner when the bump happens that he uh, he really sells that. Yeah, worry for this man. I mean, if he's walking along Princess Street and bumps into somebody, I worry that he might eye roll the other deck. Yeah, I've got in my notes it was it was a bit over the top, but but Dolph it made Ziggler, me laugh. Dolph Ziggler levels are selling. <laughs> yeah, um, we've got Sting checking on the ref uh, as Dusty throws Hall. I think it's brass knucks. That's um, true. And he hits Sting with a brass knucks uh, punch. Um, the ref um revives himself just enough to to make a a two count, um, and then at that point we've got Hall signalling for the outsider edge. I think mm-hmm. is what, what yeah. it's called. Uh, Sting squirming through out of that and hitting the scorpion death drop for for the win and retaining. Um, yeah, it was fine. It's. It, it does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity with Hall. Yep, definitely. Uh, I wonder if that's. I wonder if that's him. I wonder if that's his only. Um, I've no idea, but I wonder if that's his only ever title shot. Prop. It might be. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, then to our main event of the evening, and uh, yeah. we we wheel out wheel out Michael Buffer again. It must be someone in Hogan's contract that says he needs to be introduced by Michael Buffer. Um, oh, this was like I, I didn't expect, you know, I didn't expect Benoit versus Kurt Angle or anything like that. But what what an absolute mess was made of this match. Yeah, there's ah, oh, there's a few things here. I mean. What what happens in the ring isn't good. You know, it, it doesn't look good. It's 
it's yeah, it's a Hogan match. Uh-huh. Um, a heel Hogan match. Yeah, we've we do have you know some exchanges of control. Uh, Hogan, I think, initially, then Savage taking a bit of control until Hogan starts using his belt, which seems to have been a a favourite thing for a wee while. Yeah, um, we've got Hogan putting Savage head first in the cage. There was then a moment that really confused me. So we've got Hogan and Savage fighting near the cage door, which then gets opened and they start fighting outside and then the refs are desperate to get them back in the cage. And I just don't understand why the door was opened in the first place. <laughs> and the common, so traditionally in a cage match, obviously somebody gets out the cage, that's, that's over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was thinking, have I missed them saying at the start that the only way to win is submission or pin? But I, I don't, I don't know if think it was ever. Know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was ever said, and it. It's possible that I'm applying like some sort of WWF bias to it, yeah. and maybe WCW cage matches never worked like that. But I just can't understand why you open the door and then you're like, "Oh no, we've got to get them back in the ring." Uh, the referee like actively unlocked the door to let them yeah. out. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, we've got uh, Savage uh, climbing the cage and doing a double axe handle on Hogan from yeah. the top of the cage. My knees are still sore for watching that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that must hurt. What's it? Um, That's mental. We've got uh, Savage being in control, but uh, Beefcake appears outside, uh, takes out the ref, unlocks the cage door. Um, Savage... Climbing to the top of the cage again, um, and then Beefcake's in. So they, they sort of speculate that Savage might be crazy enough to jump down onto a fresh Beefcake, but he doesn't. He, <laughs> a fresh he, uh, Beefcake, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so Savage is two on one in the ring. Um, and then we've got Sting coming down from the, the rafters and. Uh, it, it was a bit messy because it kind of took a long time and you're just looking thinking well Hogan and Beefcake could have comfortably left they could have just strolled out got in their cars they, they, they would have been home by the time he's actually you know uh, got in the ring um, so, so he lands on the, the top, he actually lands on the side of one of the cages uh-huh. and he has to sort himself out and, and sort of jump back into the middle and land and he yeah. has to unhook himself they over egg this entrance yeah, um, the the I, I I did quite like what happened next. Um, so we've got a standoff which seems like it's Savage and Sting uh, facing Hogan, and I'm just going to keep calling him Beefcake. Um, and you, then you enjoyed the ten minute standoff where Savage patted Sting on the shoulders a few yeah, it's times. Just, it's not it's not really the bit I enjoyed. I quite. <laughs> So Savage, kind of out of nowhere, and again, I, I didn't <laughs> remember this was coming, but he clotheslines Sting, then uh, pile drives Sting. Yep. Um, and then we've got Hogan, I think, giving a bit of a look like, ah, okay, he's back with us, that's all fine, but Savage doesn't really want anything to do with Hogan either. Um, there's a gesture, and then he spits at Hogan uh, as he exits the cage. Um, Savage shouts it's something like I don't like you and I never will uh-huh. um, and Hogan shouts back you work for me, you're NWO whether you like it or not um, so yeah the only reason I quite like that is because they've kind of played up the unpredictability of Savage all along 
Um, they've talked about him being a bit of a wild card, a bit of a um, loose cannon, not not Pillman, but you know you know what I mean. Um, Madness. So yeah, and um, he's 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 crazy, but he's our crazy, which you know the type of thing that used to be said about him from an NWO point of view. So I I, I was at least a little bit intrigued by that. Okay, if Savage is just completely on his own, I'm fine with that. Um, They've got Sting as as the the guy who, you know, is the 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 lone wolf. But I I don't think Savage fits naturally into a group, so I didn't mind seeing that yeah. happen. Uh, but yeah, as a as a match, it was it's a bit of a shit show, really. You're kind of burying your champion as a bit of a naive idiot, though, aren't you? Yeah, you know, um, he's, he's befriended, or in his mind, he's befriended this guy. He comes to his aid get screwed over but not really for anything because the person that screwed him over, it's not like he's then went to the other side, he's then spat in the yeah. face of it. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying, I totally get what you're saying. If it was a little swerve and, and they'd said macho, you know, like macho then too sweet Hogan or something like that mm-hmm. I probably could have accepted that a little better but then he spat in his face <laughs> he told him he was for life and then spat yeah. in his face um, I, I, so don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't really buy this I, I'm not sure that I buy this storyline and this sort of feeds into what you're saying that Savage wants to be in control of the NWO mm-hmm. he's a loose yeah. cannon why does he want to be yeah why, why, why? I don't I don't like that element because it, it doesn't fit anything we're really seeing because who is going to follow him you know, at, at least with Hogan, who is no doubt the dominant NWO member, and he's talked about there being a pecking order and things like that. But at least you kind of know where you stand with a Hogan, whereas you could never have a Savage as a leader of a group like that. No. He's too unpredictable. Um, so yeah, that that part of it, I don't really, I don't really like. Cause it just doesn't fit. And it's weird that. Obviously, we're two years on, but Nash and, Nash and Hall came in and they've been relegated to kind of like the next sort of rung down mm-hmm. um, as far as NW. And that's obviously going to happen with Hogan, but yeah, have got beefcake. And, yeah. This was a mess as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, the only thing I liked about this, apart from the double axe handle from the top of the cage, was that um, Bruce Buffer referred to Macho Man as a Slim Jim spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. Oh, brilliant. So so that was our pay-per-view. On your network, did it look like you had another match after it? Did it look like you had Bret Hart versus Sting? No. That's weird. I must have had some sort of weird glitch. I thought someone, you know, like... WWF esque had happened and 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 Bret Hart and, uh, the little thumbnail made it look like Sting had red face paint on and everything. It, it was really weird, but oh, yeah. when, when I clicked on it, it just took you to the end of the pay per view. Okay, yeah, must be an error. Yeah. So that was the pay per view. <laughs> Massive disappointment. Yeah, it, it, it really was. We we were both of us were really enthusiastic about it when we saw the card and having enjoyed the previous show as well. And I remember looking at it right at the end 
of the the podcast where we were talking um about the uh, super brawl and i was thinking this this will be good um i just for for the the matches they had um uh, just wasn't it didn't get anywhere near delivering what it looked like on paper <laughs> definitely not and then we we'll have to go and watch a night draw after it. <laughs> yeah, that that was tough going actually. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult to motivate yourself to go and watch it. Yeah, um, I think I had a three day break between did you? the two. Yeah. So, so the the night draw after, I don't think there's a a huge amount to report on, but um, they have. I I did quite like the whole spring break aspect of it, and um, a bit different to what we're used to. They had a a swimming pool around the ring and mm-hmm. uh, the entrance bit. It was all a bit different. It was outside, um, which comes into play at the end of the episode. <laughs> so so we get the full NWO coming out and they're gloating, saying that Macho's back in the fold. Um, and Hogan is saying that uh, Bischoff has booked a match later on in the night. We've got Hogan and Savage versus Sting and Luger. Yeah, Luger. Yeah, and they're they're playing up the odds because Hogan says that Savage has told him that he's taken out Sting. Yeah, which, um, so Sting will not be a factor in that match. Which I, th- I wonder if uh, uh, I was going to say went off. I wonder if Hogan went off script there, but mm. I, I can't imagine they have scripts. Um, <laughs> I think they play doing whatever they want, but I thought that was really odd. I, yeah. I thought we were supposed to think that Hogan naively thought that Savage was back in the fold, but had there been no contact because why would there? Why would there mm-hmm. be? Yeah, he's told him he hates him and all that the previous night. Yeah. Spat him. Yeah, and then he says, "And Macho told me this or, or whatever." I thought that was weird. Yeah, silly. Uh, but we get Savage a little bit later in the night, basically saying he's not interested mm-hmm. um, in Hogan, and as when he takes control of NWO, then Hogan will be at the bottom of the pecking order, basically. Yeah. Um. Bischoff does a good selling job with all that, looking absolutely stunned that this is the attitude Savage has taken, despite <laughs> everything that went on the night before. But, yeah. um, other other bits and pieces that go on before the main event, we've got Goldberg obliterating Raven's flock. Mm-hmm. We're still yeah. building up Goldberg as a machine. Yep. Um, we've got Nash and Hall coming out in Hawaiian shirts and Kevin Nash has a little nugget of wisdom for the spring breakers in the crowd. He, t- he tells them to make sure that you're nice to the fat girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which uh, plays well in 2021. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, we've got this sort of flippant attitude towards the giant and the uh, Nash and, well, Paul's not really doing much here, but but Nash is calling him out again. Um, and the giant, come, Julie, comes out and, and Nash jumps in the swimming pool and uh, leaves Hall to get gorilla pressed, leaves his best mate to get uh, beaten up by the mm-hmm. the giant gorilla pressed into the swimming pool. Did, did you notice Nash said that the Giants lucky that Nash is the 1998 Cannonball champion of spring break just before he jumps in the water? He's having far too much fun. <laughs> he is, yeah. Uh, how are you supposed to, like, at this point in time, they're going for sort of DX heel heat, I uh-huh. think. 
yeah. um, which does not fit in with what the rest of the NWO are doing. And I, yeah. I guess that's where the wolf pack, the wolf pack split mm-hmm. comes in. Do you know when that happens? I don't actually. No, no, I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, that's quite entertaining, but silly. Yeah. Um, we get our main event: Hogan and, and Savage versus Sting and Luger. And we're supposed to believe that Sting's not going to turn up. But Sting does turn up. And whoever's in charge of organising whatever this is should have been fired. Like, what was this, Adam? (laughs) Yeah. Do do people in WCW not know that helicopters tend to generate wind? Yeah, they 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 played up early on on the fact that Sting can't surprise them because he can't come down from the rafters because it's open air. Um, so yeah, we get this helicopter here, and uh, Sting is going to come down to the ring from the helicopter. But this is this is all over the place. <laughs> There's bits of the apron flying about. Yeah. Bischoff is pretending to get blown over. He's, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, this sort of made me think about, you know, when Austin comes out and sprays the rock and mm-hmm. uh, Vincent is a Shane as well with, yeah. with beer and you've got like Vince like pretending to swim in it and all that. Like, that's yeah. entertaining, funny, and it makes sense. <laughs> no, but like, Bischoff is pretending to get blown away by this right next to these spring break students that are just standing there laughing at him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I get it. They probably thought that this, make, this might make an amazing looking splash, mm-hmm. but it was stupid. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that's, <laughs> yep, that's, I think, all... Totally valid. We we get um, Hogan has a go at Savage because he was meant to take Sting out. Savage knocks Hogan down and leaves the ring. But oh, that beefcake! He's not letting Savage go anywhere. <laughs> oh, um, th- throws throws him back into the ring. Savage is getting a beat down. Beat down. Hogan's berating him in the corner. Um, Savage. Well, I've, I've I've then got a little bit of a gap, and then. Um, Hogan isn't even watching the match and Savage slaps his back to tag him in. Um, Hogan tries to leave, Savage throws him in the ring. So there is a match going on while all this <laughs> nonsense is, is taking place. We've got Beefcake then attacking Savage on the outside. Um, the four men uh, in the match end up in the ring. Luger puts Hogan in the torture rack, but Beefcake comes in to make the save. Sting and Luger win by DQ. Um DX, uh, DX, NWO running. <laughs> um, and we've got Sting. At the end of a WCW episode. <laughs> we've got uh, Sting and Luger fighting them off while Hogan and Savage are, are fighting on the outside. Um, and yeah, it's this totally classic TV finish of NWO battling with Sting and uh, Luger here at the end. It was it was kind of a nothing episode. It didn't nothing new happened. It moved some stories along a bit, but that's yeah. it really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say interested to see where we're going to go, but it's probably going to be a bit more of the same. 
Um, at this point in time, I can kind of see how they see why they started uh, splitting the NW up and uh, something different. At this point in time, you've built them into this sort of unstoppable train mm-hmm. that y- you need to do something with it. Otherwise, you know, like, yeah. what what else do you really do? Yeah, I uh, think I think everyone acknowledges that it. The, the group got too big, you know, the, the number of people in the group got too big. Yep. Um, and then you, it, it, as soon as it's diluted to that extent, it, it loses what kind of made it special in the first place. Um, but yeah, from, from here, you're looking, thinking, well, where, where can it go? Um, and I don't actually know where it goes because I've not looked forward apart from one horrendous thing that you sent me um, about a, a match at the next pay-per-view. <sighs> well, I'll tell you where it goes. It goes to Spring Stampede. I don't know. That's exactly where it goes. So I've got a question yeah. for you. Yep. Going chronologically, um, 19th April, WCW Spring Stampede is our next pay-per-view. Okay. Um, Unforgiven doesn't drop until a week later. Okay. Um, it's just whether or not we want to put ourselves through the torture of doing WCW next episode, or if we want to keep doing the sort of vice versa and and go with WWF. What, what's your preference? I feel like, for the sake of my <laughs> engagement <laughs> and motivation and sanity. Yep. It might be good to pivot to WWE next and then back to WCW. Okay. I think I am game for that. Yeah, that cool. sounds good to me. We'll get some WrestleMania rematches and see where Austin goes with, we spoke before about it being Dude Love. Yeah. Uh, Unforgiven. So I, that sounds good to me. Cool. WCW gets a must-do-better and I am not entirely positive that, <laughs> that that's going to happen. Yeah, what if we've already seen the peak? We oh, we maybe have. I do worry <laughs> that that may be the case. <laughs> See, never mind. You know, we've spoke before about where do we go after 1998, and last month I was thinking, well, surely we're going to 1999. There's some amazing stuff, certainly WWF-wise, which we've obviously lived through. And, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed and it'd be it'd be great to revisit that but my god if this is WCW at its peak <laughs> I think it's I think it maybe has passed its peak so so you're saying 2002 interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe the next show will surprise us although again with that one match that is the only match that I know of that's on the card uh, I'm not overly optimistic about it Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan, uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper and the Giant in a baseball <laughs> bat on a pole match. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're only a step away for Judy Bagwell on a pole at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's why we can't go to 2001 for our next year, because nah. I'm pretty sure that's when that would happen. Yeah, we, we don't want that. We don't want David Arquette. We don't want that. <laughs> Oh well, we'll see. We'll see what Unforgiven brings. That should be yeah. fun to watch. It'll least. be. 
just a, a a change of pace. I think we we need um, just look at something different for for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and then in May we'll have ECW back. Awesome as well, and I believe that the next main event we'll be looking at is I want to say it's Al Snow versus Shane Douglas. Awesome. And whoever thought that we'd be looking forward to Al Snow versus an Al Snow main event match. Awesome. Yeah, it, it it sounds pretty appealing right now. It does. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Right, well, we'll see you for episode 19, WWF Unforgiven. Excellent. Uh, until then, don't watch any more Nitro or Thunder. Keep saying. <laughs> and I'll see you then. Hit us up at Outlaws Pod on Instagram if you want to send us your feedback on our WCW trashing. <laughs> yeah. Until then, we'll see you. See you episode 19. Cheers, Adam. Cool. Cheers. <laughs>